Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about malaria. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash malaria or in the infectious diseases section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Malaria is an infectious disease caused by members of the plasmodium family of protozoan parasites. I remember that protozoa are single-celled organisms. The most severe and dangerous member of the family is called Plasmodium falciparum, and this accounts for about 75% of cases of malaria in the UK. Malaria is spread through bites from the female Anopheles mosquito that carry the disease. There's a very specific type of mosquito called Anopheles, and it's only the female variation of that type of mosquito that carry the disease. It commonly occurs in travellers who have come back from areas where malaria is known to be present and it's extremely unlikely to catch malaria in an area where there's no malaria known to be present. There's four types you need to be aware of for your exams. Plasmodium falciparum is definitely the one to remember for your exams as this is the most severe and dangerous form and also the most common. Plasmodium vivax, Plasmodium ovale, and Plasmodium malaria are the other three forms that you need to be aware of. First, we need to talk about the life cycle of malaria. Malaria, like we said, is spread by the female Anopheles mosquitoes, and this is usually at night time. So infected blood is sucked up by feeding mosquitoes from an animal that's infected with malaria. The malaria then reproduces in the gut of the mosquito, producing thousands of sporozoites, which are malaria spores. Then, as that mosquito travels off and bites another human or animal, the sporozoites are injected by the mosquito into the blood of that human or animal. These sporozoites then travel to the liver of the newly infected person, and they can lie dormant as something called hypnozoites for years. Particularly, they can lie dormant as the P. vivax and P. ovale variations. So they're sitting in the liver, and that's where they mature into merozoids, which enter the blood and infect the red blood cells. And then in the red blood cells, these merozoids reproduce over 48 hours. And after 48 hours, the red blood cells rupture and release loads more of the merozoids into the blood. And this causes a hemolytic anemia. So the rupturing of the red blood cells is called hemolysis and it causes hemolytic anemia where low red blood cell counts occur because of all of the hemolysis. And it's important to remember they reproduce every 48 hours and this is why people with malaria typically have a high fever spike every 48 hours and also why sometimes when you test somebody you won't be able to see the malaria in the blood until you retest them over the next three days so that you pick a time when the red blood cells are rupturing and releasing all of the malaria into the blood. So what kind of presentation would you expect in somebody with suspected malaria? Well, you've got to suspect malaria in someone who lives or has travelled to an area where malaria is known to be present. If somebody's got no history of travel and they've been in the UK or a non-malaria zone for a long period, it's very unlikely that they have malaria. The incubation period is usually one to four weeks after the infection has occurred, although it can lie dormant for years. So even if somebody was infected years ago, 
they can start producing symptoms years later of that malaria infection. So there's very non-specific symptoms that are associated, things like fever, sweats and rigors, and typically the fever occurs every 48 hours. Other things like malaise or tiredness, myalgia, which means muscle aches, headaches and vomiting can occur. And then there could be some signs when you look on examination. They could have pallor due to that hemolytic anemia as the malaria merozoites rupture the red blood cells and reduce the red blood cell count. Patients can develop hepatosplenomegaly as the liver becomes full of the malaria as well as the spleen. And jaundice because as the red blood cells rupture, they release bilirubin into the circulation and this causes a jaundice that causes that yellow discoloration of the skin. How do we diagnose somebody with malaria? Well, something key that you need to remember for your exam is that it can be done using a malaria blood film. And this is sent in a typical EDTA bottle, which is the red top bottle that's usually used for a full blood count. And the way this is tested is it's looked at under a microscope to identify whether there's any parasites, how many parasites there are, and also what type of parasites they are. In order to exclude a diagnosis of malaria, you need to send three samples over three consecutive days. And this is due to the 48-hour cycle of malaria being released into the blood from the red blood cells. The sample may be negative on days where the parasite's not released, but then becomes positive a day or two later when they are released from the red blood cells. Next, let's talk about management. Since in the UK, malaria is a relatively rare diagnosis and you're not going to be managing it on a day-to-day -day basis, it's really essential to discuss patients with the local infectious diseases unit for advice on management. All patients with falciparum malaria should be admitted for treatment as they can deteriorate quite quickly and become quite severely unwell. The oral options for uncomplicated malaria are Reumet, Malarone, quinine sulfate and doxycycline and then in severe or complicated malaria there are intravenous options such as artesanate which is the most effective treatment but is not licensed and quinine dihydrochloride. So a quick tom tip on remembering the treatment it's important to remember artesanate and quinine as the treatment options for your exams these are the most likely to be relevant. Remember that Plasmodium falciparum is the most common and severe cause and these patients should be admitted for artesanate treatment, IV and for monitoring of the complications. So what are the complications of falciparum malaria? Well like we said there's multiple complications and patients need to be monitored carefully for these complications and treated appropriately. The complications include cerebral malaria where it affects the brain, seizures, reduced consciousness, acute kidney injury, pulmonary edema, disseminated intravascular coagulopathy or DIC, severe hemolytic anemia is quite a key complication to remember and this is because the parasites are breaking down the red blood cells causing an anemia and then in severe cases there's multi-organ failure and potentially even death. Finally we need to talk about malaria prophylaxis. And there's some general advice for preventing malaria infections outside of taking anti-malarial medications. And these are to be aware of the locations that are high risk, particularly when traveling. Remember that no method is 100% effective alone. So it's best to use a variety of methods to reduce the risk as much as possible. 
using mosquito spray, for example, 50% DEET spray. When in areas with malaria-containing mosquitoes, use mosquito nets and barriers in sleeping areas to prevent mosquitoes getting in and biting at night time. And then seeking medical advice as soon as any symptoms occur so that you can be tested and treated appropriately. And then let's talk about the anti-malarial medications. And anti-malarial medications are around 90% effective at preventing infections. And there's several options. We'll talk about three for this section. The first is something called malarone, which contains progranil and atovaquone. This is taken daily for two days before, during, and then for a week after being in endemic areas. It's the most expensive option and costs about £1 per tablet, but it has the best side effect profile. The next option is mefloquone, which is taken once weekly, two weeks before, during, and four weeks after being in endemic areas. It can cause quite bad dreams and rarely psychotic disorders or seizures. And then finally, there's doxycycline, which is taken daily, two days before, during, and four weeks after being in endemic areas. This is a broad-spectrum antibiotic, which you'll of course come across from treating patients with chest infections and other different infections. But because it's a broad-spectrum antibiotic, it can cause side effects like diarrhea and candidal infections. And it also makes patients sensitive to the sun, which can be a problem because a lot of areas that have malaria have a lot of bright sunshine, and it can cause a rash and sunburn. So thanks for listening to this episode on malaria. If you found it helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other podcast episode topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. It's got detailed and concise notes on 10 specialties in medicine and it's designed specifically to contain the key facts and guidelines you need for your medical exams. If you don't want to pick up a copy of the book, remember there's all the notes available on the Zero to Finals website, as well as videos, illustrations and questions all completely free if you head over to zerotofinals.com and I hope you tune in to the next series of the Zero to Finals podcast which will be all about hematology.